And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. And you know, when I speak with small business owners and entrepreneurs, some of our younger small business owners actually self-identify as entrepreneurs. They're small business owners also. (laughs) But we'll go with whatever you like. Small business owner entrepreneurs. This has been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Stu does America. Head to blazetv.com slash stew. Help us push back against the rapid, unscheduled disassembly of America. Welcome to you if you happen to be here uh, from your maybe normal perch a couple weeks ago over at Fox News at 8 p.m. Eastern. We'd like to have you like having you here. We're holding down the fort until Tucker figures out what he's doing next. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, like this video right now. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. We do appreciate it. The cast and creators of the new Blaze TV mockumentary reopening are here to give us the behind the scenes details on the film. Rochelle Walensky is out as director of the CDC, and we're all better off for it. But we start by doing Randy Weingarten. Not my favorite title that we've used on this show. I mean, I, sometimes they're really good. This one, not, not. Who's going to click on this? I mean, again, I, I get the idea that we try to be above the clickbaity nonsense that's on the internet sometimes, but really, who's going to click on Studas Randy Weingarten? I don't think Randy Weingarten would even be interested in clicking on that. Let's get into it anyway, though. Uh, there's been some back and forth lately between Randy Weingarten, she's, of course, the, t- the head of the teachers union, and the media. Because, you know, people have this weird idea that she didn't want schools to reopen during key parts of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I remember her saying stuff like that a lot. They kept pushing back about, against it. Schools wanted all sorts of restrictions. But she claims that she wants schools opened, and Fauci kind of did the same thing. Fauci Weingarten tried to rewrite history as disastrous COVID-19 lockdowns. Show me a school that I shut down. I think that was a Fauci quote, but it was echoed often here by Randy Weingarten here in the last couple of weeks. This uh, This prompted a fact check by PolitiFact, who, look, I'm sure there's smart people that work at PolitiFact. I'm sure there's good people that work in PolitiFact, but... As an organization, they are a swill. They just do this crap all the time. Here's what AFT's Randy Weingard said about reopening schools during COVID-19. And shockingly, they came up with the idea that she actually did want schools reopened. Let me give you this exact quote because it's so agonizing. She goes through this and uh, she says, I want to, uh, we want schools to reopen. That's their quote. Now, Let me give you a little more because they highlight that they give that in quotes. We want schools to reopen. Well, that's someone who does want schools to reopen. Right. End of investigation. Let's move away. Nothing to see here. Of course, the quote goes on. We want them to reopen safely. We've been working on it since April. And uh, and ultimately, I'd love to work with you and try to figure out how to reopen school safety as opposed to any of the name calling. So how did she want to reopen schools safely? That's kind of the rub, isn't it? She says she wanted schools open, but. Her demands to reopen schools were completely absurd. And they went over the line by a lot. We're talking about tons of money. We're talking about vaccine mandates, mask mandates, mandate mandates, every single mandate you can possibly imagine. She tries to get out of all of this by saying, well, I was really saying that Trump and DeSantis were going to ruin reopening schools. 
let's think about this for a second. How were they going to ruin this? How were they going to be reckless? By opening schools at a time earlier than Randy wanted, without all the restrictions that Randy wanted, or at least the members of her union that pay her salary wanted. So Randy's argument is basically, you know, I wasn't against opening schools. I was just against Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump reopening schools. That would be reckless. Well, if your brain hurts trying to find a way that that explanation in any way, shape or form isn't Randy being against opening schools, it's because there is no explanation. She was against opening the schools and everyone who was alive in this period, which I might remind you is not 1885. It was just the last couple of years. Everybody remembers it. It was quite clear. Now, you may have noticed that, you know, of course, Randy Weingarten is making the rounds in the media doing this over and over and over again. It sounds kind of like a dare. She wants us to prove that she didn't ask for schools to be closed. I mean, we'll bite. I mean, which quotes uh, prove this? Uh, all of them. All of them, Randy. All of the claims that you didn't want to shut down schools because it wasn't just this little minor thing. Of course, no one says we never want kids to go back to school again. Nobody says that. There's never a public facing comment that says that she just didn't want to reopen them until each of her list of ransom demands were met. So, no, you don't get credit now for saying you wanted the schools open when in reality you were trying to use the school system to shake down the federal government for a windfall of covid cash. Kids were suffering. They were out of school. They were not learning. At least a lot of them weren't. They were losing out. They were falling behind in large part because instead of leading the charge to get them back, which you'd think someone involved in the school system would do passionately, Randy Weingarten chose to do what crappy union thugs do all the time and wring as much money out of the government as possible. And it's just what union thugs do. So let me give you some of the details here. This is from PolitiFact. Weingarten advocated for tailored approaches that prioritize safety needs of individual districts, educators, and students, but stopped short of endorsing a full return to an in-person learning all across the country. Yeah, way short of it. The AFT's reopening plan, first released in April 2020, prioritized maintaining physical distance between people. This is a good place to start. You want to keep distance between people. Has anyone ever been to a school if you want kids back in school, there's no way to distance them six feet away from each other. Have you ever been inside of a school in your entire life? You can't do that. There's no way to do it. Maybe if you're in perfect temperatures, you could take them outside and do it. But certainly no rational way to do it inside at the, during this period. Uh, it, so it prioritized uh, physical distance, established COVID-19 testing protocols, and involving school staff and parents in these decisions. It also called for federal aid to help schools prepare. That's a, quite the understatement, involving school staff and parents in these decisions. The parents wanted them back in school. That's what they wanted. The school staff, of course, was getting paid to stay home. So, no, they didn't want to go back to school. Why would they? What would they possibly want out of that arrangement? I'd rather stay home and make money than go to work and make money, said every person ever. That's how this works. Of course, they'd rather do no work instead of actually working. And, you know, COVID-19 testing protocols, take a look back for a second. Remember what those were? They were talking about testing every single kid every day. And when they got positive tests, they'd send the entire class home, which was an impossible way for a parent to be able to manage the situation. It was ridiculous. It always was ridiculous. Now, 
this got on Twitter, and I know I know Elon Musk's reign at Twitter has come with a mixed bag for some people, uh, but you have to love the community notes feature. Now, this was something that I think was started actually before Elon started, but you know it was pretty bad. Now it's really good. Uh, it's particularly comical to watch the left react to getting the added context. Uh, added to their tweets because they hate it. They've never been called out by anybody before. Yeah, you get a couple conservative commentators who say things. They just ignore them. Well, the community notes, everybody sees it. It's an embarrassment, and that's why they're so fantastic. Social media isn't as fun when all left-wing propaganda gets to uh, no longer have their free pass. It's, I mean, I'm sorry, Randy. That's just the way that it works. Uh, so let's look back at some of her comments. Reckless, callous, cruel, Teacher's chief denounces Trump plan to reopen schools. Angry AFT president Randy Weigarten tells Guardian proposal uh, from Trump and Betsy DeVos would lead to uh, would result in teaching exodus. See, again, like just the plan of reopening schools. She was threatening the government, saying all the teachers are going to quit their jobs. She's she's the union boss. She's fighting on behalf of her people blindly uh, often. But you don't get to get credit for this afterward. Then Randy got upset. So she said, Republicans on the House COVID committee want you to think I wanted to keep schools closed. Here's what I actually said over and over again with a video, the community note below it. Weingarten is misrepresenting her prior positions. She called attempts to reopen schools in the fall of 2020 reckless, callous and cruel. And the fall of 2020 is something important to remember here. This isn't May 2020. It's not March 2020. It's not April 2020. This is the fall of 2020. Now, my kids were back in school full time in August 2020. I live in Texas, however. Things are a little bit different here than they are in other states. And I was really, really happy about that. Uh, but, you know, all over the country, not only were they stopping in, in, uh, in 2020, but all the way through 2021. I mean, a lot of schools in blue areas were not opening on time in 2021. Many kids did not go back to school until 2022 after uh, Christmas break. That's what really happened, especially in these union dominated cities. And also said that her union pushed aggressively at the local level. Areas with high union influence remained closed much, much longer. And that continued, as I noted, all the way to 2022. Again, that is an, a, link, a link from The New York Times. It's not me saying that. Everyone remembers it. This is gaslighting. The whole thing of gaslighting has always been you tell somebody something, you almost make them feel crazy, right? This is how it is in abusive relationships. You make them feel crazy. Do I even remember? I, I, that, that's not how I remember this at all. Yes, that is what happened. Just believe me. And you start to think you're going insane, and that's what they want out of you. They want you to go insane. But this story is much more positive than that. You don't have to end this story in the loony bin for one good reason. We'll get to here in a minute. Randy Weingarten responded uh, to this and she said, what's false is the community note, not PolitiFact. My actual quote from The Guardian, it's as if Trump and DeVos want to create chaos and want to jeopardize reopening dot dot. There's no other reason why they would be this reckless, this callous, this cruel. Well, what they wanted to do is let kids back in school. And that was kind of the point. Her standards were basically uh, we won't reopen until all schools are safe. We, we can't send them back. It's not, we, you know, it's that old, well, if one person is sick, that's too many, and we have to do everything we can. That's always been a ridiculous standard, and it's not rational or realistic to pursue. It never was. It was a standard that was impossible to hit, and that was, of course, from Randy Weingarten, intentional. 
if you make the standard completely impossible, the thing you're offering, you can kind of get credit for offering it, but you know no one's ever going to go through with it. One of her uh, requests was all we have to do, we could send back kids back to school, but we have to slow the spread of the virus first. Well, nowhere on earth, basically, were they able to do that in any context. Okay, the virus went around. Pretty much everybody got it at one point or another. Lots of people got sick. Lots of people died. Uh, but that was, you know, not a lot of kids died. And that was kind of the point, the central point conservatives were making from the very, very beginning. Remember, the conservative point was not, hey, let's get this thing under control and, you know, and monitor this and, and we'll let kids back in school. The conservative point was always, look, kids will be damaged from this and they're not being damaged from the virus largely. So we have to look at this realistically. Is it a great situation? No, we don't want this to keep spreading around. But if we just ignore that, if we just ignore the differences in the way these ages work with this virus, we're going to end up dealing with all this stuff in crazy ways. We're going to wind up punishing people who can't get sick. We're going to lock up young people for no reason into a virtual prison for many, many years instead of actually dealing with the people who are really at risk here. That was what conservatives wanted to do. And the schools were the most central part to this because we know how damaging it is if kids are not learning. We know what it does to their future. We know how far behind they can get. And now the left is trying to come on board. Remember, this started with only conservatives basically saying it in the media. You were shunned. You wanted to kill grandma. You wanted to kill children. You wanted to kill teachers if you opposed these things. There were, and I, it's important to acknowledge, some brave center, even center left commentators who came out and said, hey, guys, like, this doesn't make any sense. People need to be able to go back to school. We talked to Jennifer Say on this show. Uh, she was a former executive at Levi's who just tried to advocate for kids to go back to school, particularly in vulnerable public school communities. All these executives, private school kids, they were going back to school. But the public school kids with all the unions, they weren't allowing them back. And she said, no, we need to fight for those kids, too. In fact, maybe even more. They're the ones that really need our help. She, in turn, was forced out of Levi's and now has spoken out about it. And she has a book out about it. But it was really important. It was people like her that I think made a real difference to allow the left to be able to say, OK, this is OK. This is an OK opinion to have. And over that time, over a long period of time, it's not just conservatives. It's not even just people in the center. It's not just people even on the center left. Some specific commentators who came out early and started talking about this. Now everyone recognizes it. That's where we are today. But I want you to remember that this was not some conservative uh, uh, kind of like fever dream back in the day. This was not like, oh, well, we believe in the free markets and that's evil. And we just want kids to go out there and get sick. It wasn't just, oh, just Joe Biden, uh, you know, seems to want to say the opposite. Of course, he wasn't even president at most of this time, but we'll just ignore that. Uh, you know, conservatives were pushing back against Donald Trump during this period. That's important to remember. But go back to before the pandemic even hit. May 11, or March 11th, 2020 was, was kind of a big day. It's, uh, it was a day, I believe, that uh, the NBA season got canceled. It was uh, right around that time. It was a couple days before 15 days to start, start the spread. But May 11th is kind of thought of as that central first day where all this stuff really started feeling crazy. 
Let me give you an interview. This is from March 10th, one day before that, 2020. This is on Joe Rogan's show. And the reason I bring it up, oh, Joe Rogan, he's a right winger, which doesn't make any sense at all. He's not a right winger. But regardless, he was talking to Michael Osterholm, who is a, who is a, a virologist. He's a guy who wound up serving um, with, for Joe Biden and advising him on COVID-19 response. He's no right winger. This is the day before all these shutdowns really even started talking about closing schools. This is a longer clip, but I want to keep it all in context so you can see what the experts actually thought before all of this started. Watch. As far as what can public health do, we're not gonna, we can talk about this. We're not going to have a vaccine anytime soon. That's happy talk. Um, what we, you know, we can close schools. One of the big challenges we have right now, if we close schools, what do we accomplish? In influenza virus, when you, we close schools during outbreaks, because it turns out kids are, get infected in school and they're like little virus reactors. You know, they come home and they transmit it to mom and dad and brothers and sisters. And uh, so we close schools sometimes. And Christmas breaks are always great for kind of putting the dampening effect on flu. In this case, kids are not getting sick very often at all, which is one of the really good news features of this disease. In China, only 2.1% of the cases are under 8, 19 years of age. And Why is that? You know, we don't completely know. Uh, and, and I'm going to come to that in a second because they're getting infected, it turns out. One study showed that they still get infected with the virus, but they don't get sick. And we have that happen. There's a disease called infectious hepatitis, hepatitis A, where we have outbreaks in daycares. And the way we know we have an outbreak is because it's transmitted through the stool, fecal oral, is mom and dad and the daycare providers all get sick. And the kids, those symptoms, we go in and test the kids, they're all positive. So some diseases will manifest my primary when you're an adult, but not as a child. This one appears to be the same. So do we close schools or not? If we're not really spreading the disease, because it turns out that if we close schools, we, a recent study done showed that 38% of nurses today in this country who are working in the medical area have kids in school. And if suddenly we're closing schools for two or three months, who's going to take care of those kids? One-fourth of the American population has no sick leave. If we close schools, they don't get paid if they have to stay home. So when you ask what can we do, we have to really be thoughtful about what we do. Are we doing more harm than good by closing schools, for example, even though everybody will say, oh, we got to do everything we can? Or do we just tell people, you know, it's going to be limiting your contact as much as you can, and that's really about what we can do. Mm. See, this isn't second guessing. This is first guessing. That's what this is. I'm just amazed at all this. I mean, Randy Weigarten trying to do this, it's, it's incredible that she's trying to rewrite history. You don't get to rewrite history. You don't get to uh, hold American school children for ransom and then say you were for them the whole time. It's like if your spouse was saying to you, hey, honey, you get a, a you can cheat all you want. You get a hall pass, a cheating hall pass. What do you want to do? You can cheat anytime you want, but only if it's with Margot Robbie. Because if it's with Margot Robbie, then you can do that. But, uh, you know, look, I'm totally letting you cheat whenever you want. I gave you the hall pass. It's not a hall pass. I, I got news for you. If you're watching this show, you can't score Margot Robbie. That's just how it works. Okay? That's, what, that's how this works. You don't get credit for giving your spouse the hall pass if it's just Margot Rob Robbie. Now, if she wanted to give you a hall pass with Randy Weingarten, perhaps she is serious. And uh, we're finding that out today on the Stu Does Randy Weingarten program. Look, the one thing you have to remember about all of this is why is she doing this? And this is the most important part of all this. We can go back and look at Randy Weingarten and say that she's a hypocrite. And we can do all that, and that's always going to be fun. And, we'll, of course, we'll do it. But why is she doing this? Why is Randy Weingarten today 
saying she didn't want schools closed when we all remember what really happened. Why? The answer is simple, and you might not want to think about it because we're a little negative sometimes, even on uh, conservatives who usually have an optimistic future, a little negative these days. But the answer of why Randy Weingarten is doing this is easy. It's because we won this one. We fought really hard for this from the very beginning. And now everyone on the left, and especially even people like Randy Weingarten, have abandoned those crazy positions they took in 2020, 2021, 2022. They're embarrassed about what they said because we won. Let's not blow by this and forget that we actually won one. We obliterated the left and the media on this, despite being against the odds. Don't stop fighting it. It it feels sometimes like you're not going to win these things. Sometimes the truth doesn't feel like it's going to win out in the end. But it can, and a lot of times it does. In this case, in particular, you've reversed the head of the teachers union to come out on television and lie about what she was saying like six months ago. And you know what? We shouldn't blow by that. We should celebrate it. All right, we've been talking about COVID a little bit today. And, you know, look, if you are a business owner and you did the right thing during COVID, you paid your people, you pulled through the business, uh, all the stuff that went on during the pandemic. And now doing the tough thing can actually pay off because you could qualify for up to $26,000 per employee at covidreliefTax.org. Government funds are available to reward companies with two or more employees who stayed open during the COVID pandemic. This is not a loan. You don't have to pay it back. The program itself is complicated, but nobody knows more about it than the CPAs and tax experts at covidreliefTax.org. You pay nothing up front. They do all the work and then they share a percentage of the cash that they get you. And look, businesses of all types, including nonprofits, uh, churches, uh, you can qualify, including those who took PPP loans. It's complicated. You got to talk to them about it. Make sure you're actually qualified for it. But don't wait around because now is the time to take advantage of this and get something back for your struggles. You did the tough thing for your employees during COVID. That was hard and you did it. Let covidtaxrelief.org help you get up to $26,000 per employee. Covidtaxrelief.org, covidtaxrelief.org. Check it out now, covidtaxrelief.org. Joining me now on set is a group of very talented and funny people from the brand new film, Reopening, which you can stream right now on Blaze TV. We have Kelsey Cook, uh, producer, co-writer, and star. We have Matt Coppin, co-director, co-writer, and director of photography. And we have Chris Guerra. He's a co-director, co-writer, and star. <laughs> Whew, that was a lot. Guys, thanks so much for coming on the program. It's a lot. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thank you. It's a multi-hyphenated project. It is, yes, it's yeah. a lot. There's a lot to it. It's a great yeah. movie. I loved it. Thank I really you. did. And, uh, you know, I'm a fan of this genre. We were talking about this a little bit off the air a second ago. You know, it really comes in in that style. The, the mockumentary style is a great, it's just a great vehicle. And you could tell that there's a real dedication in this particular movie to the documentary style. You're not like, is it, Matt, do you have a background in this? Because you, you could tell there's yeah. some dedication to this particular. <laughs> I do. I've been working in documentaries for about 15 years or so, yeah. uh, jumping in and out with just various nonprofits, uh, mm-hmm. shooting documentaries, you know, with orphanages, orphanages in Africa, mm-hmm. um, you know, medical ministries down in South America, um, Salvation Army, Museum of the Bible. We've done, you know, 
all sorts of documentaries across uh, the world, kind of with these different companies. So and that's um, how we came together. Yeah, because yeah. we had Apparently. a comedy background, and it was like you've so well at documentaries, and we came together. Boom, made a made a baby. It's very true. <laughs> it's so true. It, it, it really it really worked together. Right. I think in so many ways to be able to just uh, again naturally jump into something that was that then just made a lot of sense. We started with you know essentially our interviews and kind of worked our way into all sorts of uh, you know uh, just madness. Madness. Yeah. <laughs> just allowing comedy to happen on on screen. Yeah. Well, we're happy to be there for the birth right here in Blaze TV. Yes. Thank you. Pretty, pretty exciting. Um, take us back to like the beginning of the pandemic, because I'm fascinated at how this project came about and how it, it came here to Blaze TV. Right. Yeah, we have an improv background. And so we thought um, as actors, we were really just kind of doing the normal struggle actor thing in Hollywood, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not having a t- whole lot of luck. And we always wanted to make a film. And all three of us, um, Matt and I met in college doing films. And, and, uh, and so we all kind of came together and said, let's, let's do a feature film. Let's, let's write it. Let's come up with it and just do this while everything is shut down. Let's, let's take advantage of this time. Yeah, and since no one was working at the time, it was much easier to get um, people involved. And it was well, the coolest thing about it is the moment we told people, like, hey, do you want to do a comedy? They were like, oh, my gosh, yeah. yes. Like, yeah. I need mm-hmm. this right now. Yeah. There was, it, and it brought so much hope to the cast. Yeah. And, and the whole experience on set, because, you know, we hadn't seen people in a while because of the pandemic. And the whole, every time people came on set, there was this so joy, joy and excitement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. Was, it was so great. So was, you guys were some of the annoying, like, overachievers in the pandemic. Yeah. Like, I sat home and ate Cheetos. <laughs> yeah. You guys actually did something. Well, we started off that way. We just okay. wanted to be able to, you know, we wanted to do something we with our time at the same time. We got tired of the Cheetos, time. and we said, let's do something. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, the, the film has a great tone to it. I, I mean, I, you know, it's like, I think you could almost hit people over the head too much with whatever, you know, the, the feel of the sort of pandemic restrictions and hitting everybody with those. People lived through that and they hated it. Yeah. But the movie itself has such a warm feel to it. It's really funny, but you really like these characters. They're like good people. And, and, and the thing that I thought was interesting about it was they seem to be experiencing this like so many other people did. Mm-hmm. They didn't have strong stances. They just wanted to survive and get yes. through this time. And you really captured that, I thought, really well. Well, we appreciate that. You know, our, our whole thing was, how do we make a mockumentary without mocking COVID, without mocking death, right? Right. And the... <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, the hard and it was a fine you know? line, right? Yeah. And so we, every day on shooting, we're like, we would film a scene and go, okay, was this joyful? Right? Was there hope in this scene? Or was it just blatantly Well, mocking, and all these characters right? did what we all tried to do, mm-hmm. which is figure it out yeah. with the best knowledge we had at the time. Yeah. And really, we started this really at the height of the pandemic when we were really honestly trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And everything that we created in that was based off of actual things right. people right. were doing right. to figure out how to <laughs> move on and live life. Yeah. Like, it, this is the new normal, I guess. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't think anybody out. did garbage seats. I don't think that was a thing. <laughs> no, we, okay, we did I add don't that. Think okay, that was okay. We did add that. Okay, because if that happened, I want to know. <laughs> no, that. we did right. that. So when did it start? When, when did you guys actually get into production on this? December, uh, well, oh, January, January 2021. Yeah, January um, 2nd. So, yeah, we were, we were shooting right away. And, um, I mean, it was ended up being about a 17-day production, but stretched out over around six months uh, right. just because we had to start and stop, start and stop, dealing with everything from just trying to work around schedules, restrictions, wanting to mm-hmm. adhere, make sure everybody was safe on set. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think so much of what the film reflects is what we were going through and the same process was just, again, figuring this whole process out yeah. as we went. So. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you know, going through uh, you know that period where there's new things, and I think so many of them were well-meaning. I think we can look back at them now and, yeah. and say many of them were totally absurd and did yes. nothing. But like at the time, they were well-meaning. And it, did you have issues like with people you know that you wanted to work with who were scared to come out? Was were you still in that period where people were kind of like in that weird? Because I remember the first time I went out to dinner. And this was like in, you know, here in Texas, we opened up like 15 minutes yeah. after the pandemic yeah. started. But like going out there, it was like weird, right? Yeah. You forgot how to be around people. I, mean, I remember even with our kids and our family, we went to the beach and we kind of were like, are we supposed to be here? I'm not sure. Is this <laughs> no. against the rules? You know, yeah. um, no, and, even having yeah. like one of the cast members uh, was on Zoom the whole time. Yeah. And. You know, we did whatever. He's such an incredible actor, yeah. and that's what they felt comfortable doing. Yeah. So we said, great, then we'll make this work. Um, that's interesting. We, even we tested. We did. We, I got COVID compliance certified. On I was the set really? on certi yeah, yeah. certification yeah, process with uh, the industry. That was just what we had to do. And so I made sure that everybody, you know, nobody was sick on set, that we tested, that we did all the things that were well, required. Because there were so us. many different yeah. levels of fear. We didn't right? know. Right? right, just with, with the cast. And we wanted to accommodate all those fears. I mean, because pe people, number one, were just excited to work. Mm -hmm. yeah. They were excited to be funny. And they felt, I felt, uh, taken care of on set, knowing like, yeah. hey, we're going to we, we're gonna do our best to do this with, with the information, <laughs> the information we, yeah. we have. Yeah. Yeah. And Hollywood right. was still figuring out exactly how to go back to doing production. And so we were kind of staying in touch with all the new rules that were coming out. But, you know, we had limited number of crew we could have on set, limited number of casts we could right. have on set. Um, and that kind of played into so many things. Like, it, it allowed us to... Um, to just like, like just kind of create, you know, uh, on the day, um, yeah. and and just really kind of open up opportunities of okay. So how are we going to do the scene now with the people that we have? You know, <laughs> yeah. how, how to accomplish that is go. And so and so can't make it. Yeah. yeah. So what do we do? Now, how do we pivot? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that was tough over six months too because some people's availability changed, and uh, the industry changed over a six month period of time. So yeah. we just went with the flow. Which right. is the beauty of improvising. That's mm -hmm. right. Right. Mm -hmm. Having what a. Do you mean? We had a very clear outline, a very clear story. All the scenes, the character descriptions were very clear. But we did improvise mm. the 100%. scenes, the, the, the dialogue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, really, yeah. that's, yep. that's fascinating. Because I mean, there's so many funny parts in the movie, and I won't yeah. ruin them all. You should just go watch it on <laughs> yes. the TV. Make sure to check it out. Um, but it's it's interesting to bring comedy back. I think we went through a period there where things were really dark in the country, and then there was a lot of anger. I mean, I think after we went through that initial period of, of people being scared, things started to open up. There was a real divide between yeah. you know, red states and blue states. And like, I think a way you solve that for the country is really to start laughing at it. Is, is right. that the best approach? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, the, even the cast members in our, in our film, there's left and right, and there's mm -hmm. middle, and there's up and down, right? <laughs> but we all came together to bring joy to ourselves, right? To, to the world, to bring, to make a comedy, and the film even, it really that's reflects the theme, that. the, the film In too. fact, yeah. over Coming together. Our, a year of going to festivals, we, we took this film to film festivals all over the world last year, yeah. and one of the greatest comments I ever got from an audience member, somebody came up to me and they said, thank you so much for giving me permission to laugh again. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Uh, is it weird going through that period? Because I know you guys won a bunch of awards for this mm -hmm. movie. You, you mentioned going to the Cannes Film Festival. I mean, yeah. it's a big deal, but it was virtual, right? Yeah. Like, you didn't get that full yeah. experience, right? <laughs> I mean, it, do you, did you, were you upset that you it missed out It was kind of 50-50. I mean, uh, Cannes well, back. Some. Mm -hmm. you, yeah, we all went to um, many that 
did a hybrid kind of situation. Right. Yeah. Like they gave audiences the opportunity to watch it online or for a limited time or be there in person. Mm -hmm. Although we found that most that did that did not have a very good attendance policy because people still just decided to stay right. home. Yeah. And really. I think, you know, that's something that. Um, well, I don't, I don't think we ever anticipated even having the uh, the chance, the opportunity to sit down in a theater and hear people laugh. We always thought it would end up potentially on a streamer of some kind, and uh, being able to just. Uh, once again, sit down and like have a theater and kind of hear that across the spectrum, people were laughing. It would start in one corner of the theater right. and then it would ripple effect across to the other side of the theater. That kind of gave this, this a sense that this is a communal this film. This is working. This is working. Yeah. People are hitting these like these little these yeah. things that are very personal to them. They can now like talk and laugh and and kind of experience almost a cathartic experience. Yeah. And so you know, in so many ways, we, we were just like we were surprised that you know it would it would react so well within a theater setting. So people watching online just comment ha 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 ha. Right. <laughs> Everyone comments, then we'll know that there's. I laughter. did have a friend say she and her husband watched it like this on in a her phone. on a phone in their bed, and they had every intention of putting it on the television, but just got caught up, and they just loved it so much that they just kept watching it like over their heads. We so people funny. watching on laptops, people yeah. watching on phones, people yeah. watching on their Roku. It's like you know, being having the ability to watch it. Now at home, Everywhere. we're so excited we get to share it now with yeah. an even wider audience than just our festival run. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, talk about the reaction to it a little bit, Matt, because it, yeah. it, like you know. In the news, we're in the news every day. We're always talking about the news, and there's just a lot of anger and people disagreeing with each other. And and one of the things that we see, you know, here we're you know conservative side of the what? spectrum generally. Okay. I know <laughs> I hate to break this to you guys. Oh no! Um, but it's it has like it, there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of um, on the left. It seemed like people didn't want to joke about this stuff. They, right. they were right. angry when people didn't hit every single restriction and, and make sure everything was right. And you know, some for some people that was really important. The, on the right, I think they got there quicker, where they kind of just wanted to just forget about this and, and laugh about it. What, what has been the reaction? Have you noticed a difference, a split? I just feel like across the spectrum, we've had reactions. Uh, people from all you know, spectrums of, let's say, the political spectrum yeah. have reacted to this, and I think they, they walk away with what we intended, and that is we want this to be a message of hope. We want to show this concept of community moving forward and kind of overcoming whatever this obstacle was that we all experienced together. And I think being able to, to kind of position the film in that way has really, it opens up a lot of dialogue, it opens a lot of friendships, relationships that allow us to, to move past something that I think that was so dividing starting off. People coming together to figure it out, all ways of life, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kelsey and Chris, can you talk about your the, your your love for this format, this the, the mockumentary format? It's one of my favorites. Oh, it's, it's, uh, you know, I love Christopher Guest. I think a lot of people maybe even come to this, you know, through The Office or uh, oh, through yeah. Parks yes. and Rec, right? Yeah. Um, that style is just a great a great vehicle to, to be able to talk about stuff in a way that, that, that I don't know, it just makes people, it's just, it's really, really funny, but you can still talk about things that people care about. I will say that that we really appreciate, everybody here has been so wonderful with that and understanding that and they have an appreciation for that. We didn't get a lot of the understanding of the mockumentary genre when we were putting it out there into the world really? as far as Hollywood goes, um, traditional distribution routes, trying to figure out mm -hmm. where to put the as a home, yeah. we got a lot of like, oh, The Office, I don't know that, that's not, I don't think that's very popular. <laughs> <laughs> or I know, like, that what? Face. Exactly. Your face is our face on the call. Like, okay. what? So we actually really struggled with trying to figure out a place that would also really appreciate it for what it was, mm -hmm. the yeah. style. Yeah. But, but the beauty of the mockumentary thing is I feel like an audience watches and they feel like they're getting a sneak peek backstage when there's mm -hmm. like an interview happening, mm -hmm. meaning no one else is here in this interview but the audience and the character, mm -hmm. right? I think that's why people enjoy the mockumentary, just like The Office, right? We get to hear what someone thinks of someone else. 
through an interview yeah. that that character won't hear. <laughs> yeah. And you, mm-hmm. you have this like connection with them, like, I know, I know what they're thinking. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we grew up just on those movies, on mm-hmm. Spinal Tap yeah. and Waiting for Guffman and everybody. And I, I, I just know that those who are comparing it, um, I just say thank you. Right. It's the highest form of compliment. Exactly. It really is. You know? Those movies are just unbelievable. I mean, you yeah. go back to, I, I, we were talking a little bit off the air of, of, about a mighty, a mighty Wind, which yes. mm-hmm. is such a great movie that I don't think a lot of people know. A lot of people know Best in Show. I feel like yes. that's the one that most people are know. And of course, Spinal Tap. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but Mighty Wind is such a great one. And it has sort of the same, I, you know, I, I, I saw similarities there between A Mighty Wind and, 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 your, and your movie because it, 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 it against that warmth all those characters in A Mighty Wind, there was no bad guys in it. Like, no. it, you, they were rooting for all of them. And that's how oh. I felt. Even Bryce was incredibly weird. <laughs> I found myself rooting for all of them. Oh, we love right. Bryce. Yeah. Bryce is a, is a fan favorite and <laughs> yeah. one, of, one of our favorites as well. Yes, I just yes. love every moment he gets a chance to speak. Well, it, I think the enemy was the situation. Yeah. That was the yeah. villain in, the, in, in our film. And you'll see that. That yeah. the everyone was just trying to figure it out. So that was the villain. Yep. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. It was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, if you have a chance, uh, go right after this. Just go over to Blaze TV, the on-demand section. You're going to find the movie. You can watch it. It's part of your subscription. Why not do it? It's called Reopening, a huge Hollywood film, <laughs> which is fantastic. Uh, Kelsey Cook, Matt Coffin, Chris Guerra from uh, the brand new film, Reopening. Be sure to subscribe to Blaze TV. You can get it there, of course. Watch it as many times as you'd like. We'd really appreciate it and I think you guys would as well. It's, it's a great movie and, a, and a, just a great look back at some of the crazy crap we just went through. <laughs> That's right. yeah, and watch it more than once because there's a lot of gems you're going to miss the first time. Yeah, right. it is one of those. I mean, yeah, it, with any of those movies, you, can watch, you go, the Christopher Guest is like another great yeah. example. You watch it ten times, you're going to find yeah. a bunch of great jokes. <laughs> You'll it's find a, them. <laughs> it's a comedy for the family too. Like your families yeah. can watch this. This is meant to be like a group experience as much yeah. as you can. Bring people around your TV, watch mm-hmm. it together. Yes. I would agree with that, although you do say anal quite a bit. Yes. I don't know. That is the <laughs> One, that is the one. That is the one bad word. It's so freaking everything else funny, is bleep. Everything else, but it's so funny. That's. I mean, there's so many great ones, but that's obviously maybe my favorite. Uh, thanks, guys, so much. This is great. And it was a Thank great experience, you. and I'm glad you guys brought it to Blaze TV. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thanks, thanks for having us. So much too. Thanks. Back in a second. Rochelle Walensky is out as the CDC director. This is how right now we're in this period of everybody winding down the COVID-19 pandemic stuff. Uh, The World Health Organization also came out today, said, "Okay, it's no longer a health emergency. Everybody's winding it down now. Perfect timing. As far away from an election as humanly possible. So everyone forgets all the everything that we've gone through. She did not do a good job, um, often um, mangled the messaging uh, coming out of the uh, CDC and honestly created nothing but confusion and made things worse. You know, just not, it was not a good run for Rochelle. So she's out as CDC director. However, I, you know, a lot of times you think, oh, well, you know, she's aligned with a Democratic administration. Of course you want her out. And that's not true. It's not true that I just want every Democrat out of office. That's not at all accurate. Some Democrats I root for staying in office against evil sexists like the New York Times. The New York Times has a new uh, op-ed out. Dianne Feinstein has to act. Dianne Feinstein has to come back to work. She's 89 years old, you know, and she needs to get out of office uh, unless she's going to come back very, very soon um, because Democrats can't get their their precious judges through without her being there. And and look, that's why I say she's got to stay. I want Dianne Feinstein till well into her 90s. She can stay as long as she needs to up until our next election. In fact, 
I'd rather have her there than whatever Democrat they're going to replace her with. So Diane gets to stay, in my view. Now, she says, by the way, she's responded to this and says, I'm, gonna, I'm coming. I'm coming back. Um, she says that she, I'm disappointed that Republicans are blocking some of the judges in the committee. I'm confident that when I return, we'll be able to move the remaining qualified nominees to the Senate floor for a vote. She's 89 years old and, and still going, and I think one of the most important people in all of Congress. I fully endorse Dianne Feinstein to stay in office until somebody better can uh, come along. And look, I don't care if she's 89. I don't care if she's asked the same question over and over again in the same hearing because she forgot she asked it. I don't care if she can't remember basic things from like five or 10 minutes ago. I don't care about any of that. What I want her to do is stay in office, but you know what? Take care of her health first and foremost. That means staying home, relax at home, don't come, just stay there until your, your term ends and everything will be fine. Uh, so anyway, uh, get well uh, to uh, Diane Feinstein, but keep resting at home because that's where you are most needed. The U.S. added 253,000 jobs in April, which is higher than expectations. And what does that mean? Is the economy doing really well? I think you can tell the answer to that is no. So what should you do when you're buying a house or selling a house? How do you read this market right now? It can be really, really tough. You need someone who's an expert, someone who knows the market in your area, because nothing is more local than real estate. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find the best agent in your area. They only work with the best agents in every market. It takes them weeks to sort through these people. Make sure you get the good ones on, the bad ones not on. This is important to, to the people at realestateagentsitrust.com because they, they know that you need to trust these people and you need to trust them. Uh, they are uh, a lot of people in this uh, field are part of this audience. Uh, so when you go to realestateagentsitrust.com, you're likely going to find someone who understands you and, and, and maybe agrees with you on some of the basic principles of this country and what it's like to do good business. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a place to go to get uh, your best agent in your area. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. ESPN's Jay Williams wants to stop using the term Mount Rushmore because I guess... He says that they're not the four best presidents we've had, and they obviously served in times where we had different policies, some policies we really don't like anymore, uh, such as slavery. Uh, so I agree, uh, certainly, on, on the point uh, that those are really bad policies. I would also agree that those are not our four best presidents. But that being said, can we get a little less sensitive? Can we get a little bit less worked up about everything? All, they're not the four best presidents up there. They're not. But like, that's the whole point is people argue about who are the, all it means is what's your top four list. They're talking about whether uh, Steph Curry might knock LeBron James off of the Mount Rushmore of basketball. First of all, he's not on it anyway. Uh, secondly, I don't know that Steph Curry is going to be on it, even if he wins the series. All that being said, it's just a shorthand, an interesting way to think about a top four list. Can we stop being so freaking sensitive about everything? And remember, ESPN, which is nonstop wokeness, Stephen A. Smith, the host there, he's been woke all over the place. But you're never woke enough. You will never be woke enough. That is something you must always remember. Well, you've done it. 
you've made it through another week in this country. Congratulations. I didn't think it was going to happen either. Hey, take some time this weekend. Relax, have some fun, enjoy yourself, maybe even check out the reopening. It's a movie here on Blaze TV. If you're a Blaze TV subscriber, you get it as part of your subscription. It's available right now. We talked to the people earlier about it. I'm, I think you're really going to like it. It's mocking the COVID-19 reopening stuff, and it's a lot of fun. Check it out, blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code is stew. We will see you on Monday.